Hey there, welcome to Proximity Health's Insights to Access podcast, a forum for current topics affecting market access for oncology therapeutics. I'm Daniel Levis, and in this episode, we are reflecting on a topic that we at Proximity have been following for over three years now. Today, we are going to highlight four numbers that provide insights into the specialty pharmacy landscape with focus on the importance of specialty pharmacies among IDNs with significant oncology programs. Here to discuss the numbers is our head of data analytics at Proximity Health, Cindy Chen. Cindy, thanks for joining today. Good to be here. Cindy, I want to start off with a number that we have been tracking in our research on provider-operated specialty pharmacies for the past few years now. The number is 35%, and it corresponds to the percentage of our sample size of IDNs operating a freestanding specialty pharmacy. Now, our panel is only 129 IDNs. However, we've seen comparable numbers from the American Society of Hospital Pharmacists reporting roughly a quarter of hospitals surveyed own a specialty pharmacy. Additionally, this year we counted 223 accredited provider-owned specialty pharmacies, which is more than double the number when we started tracking in 2018. Can you tell us a little bit more about specialty pharmacy accreditation and what that means for providers? Sure. So for providers who wish to build out their specialty pharmacy services, the accreditation by an independent body is often required, either by law or really by industry best practices. This accreditation really is the stamp of approval that says the specialty pharmacy can handle and dispense specialty drugs. But oftentimes, on a practical basis, the insurance companies will not fully reimburse a drug that is handled or dispensed by a non-accredited specialty pharmacy. Instead, the plans will generally require the patients to receive a drug from an accredited specialty pharmacy. And to no one's surprise, that pharmacy is generally in the plan's network. Mm. So accreditation ensures not only the quality of the service to the patient, but also the quality for the other stakeholders within the drug channels. Is that correct? Yes, it does in most cases. So the accreditation really just serves to boost that credibility of the pharmacy program that we're talking about and in hopes that it would increase the engagement with the manufacturers and the distributors. Now, furthermore, certain states do have what we refer to as any willing provider laws that signal to the insurance companies to reimburse provider pharmacies that meet a certain set of standards. Now, we have been hearing instances of Part D plans essentially ignoring these regulations. Mm, Of course. And can you give us an idea about how difficult the process of accreditation is for providers looking to add a specialty pharmacy? Sure. So there are three main accrediting bodies that we track at Proximity, but uh, URAC is probably the one that most people think of and focus on. Now, while there are some minor differences, all of these accrediting bodies have a fairly comparable vetting process that involves at least three reviews over a course about 12 months, plus continuing annual submission. And once the accreditation has been received, of course, the IDM must continue to meet the standard, as we talked about with the annual submission. Hmm. Sounds like a demanding process. 
It is. And that's why not all the providers will want to go through the trouble of accreditation. It's a disruption in their everyday operations, not to mention all of the hurdles they have to jump through. There are, however, a few supporting consultancies or outfits that exist to really try to help providers set up and maintain pharmacy services. Two examples that come to mind are Accelera and Shield. Mm. And how did these organizations, Accelera and Shield, support their providers? Well, they are two of the many providers that are out there that essentially are trying to help IDNs establish their own pharmacy programs in hopes of gaining access to the payer-preferred networks as well as the manufacturer's limited distribution networks. There are often significant data gathering or contracting barriers to increase these IDNs' access to dispensing specialty drugs. So one of the key selling points for these organizations is to really help these health systems optimize their pharmacy operations and revenues without having to invest in a lot of these systems or even some of the responsibilities that will come with becoming beholden to a particular health plan or PBM. Mm, That makes sense. Sounds helpful. Can you give me an example of an institution that has used an outside organization to build out their specialty pharmacy? Sure. If you look at the membership of a shill or an Accelera, you'll actually see a variety of members, anybody from small regional medical centers to even large multi-state IDNs, an IDN like Intermountain Health or Yale New Haven. So let's take Yale New Haven as an example. If you look at their process, Yale joined forces with Accelera in 2015 in uh, attempt to boost their internal specialty pharmacy operations. And between 2015 through 2018, they worked through the process with Accelera and received their accreditation from URAC in 2018, and then ACHC in 2019. And since we've been tracking Yale New Haven in our annual survey, if I look at our survey data from 2018 to 2020, I'll see that in 2018, there was minimal dispensing oral oncolytics from Yale New Haven that was collected in our survey. But by 2020, we see that Yale New Haven actually estimated their first fill for oral oncolytics to be roughly 50% of their patient population. So you can see a clear increase in ramping up their operations. So building out not only the capabilities for dispensing oncology drugs, but also optimizing the volume of oral dispensing appears to be a priority for some providers, so much so that they will seek outside help. Next, though, to segue to our next number, which you alluded to in the Yale example, is the number or percentage of first fill oral oncolytics at the IDNs that we studied. That number is 56%. And again, this is the 129 IDNs, which we surveyed in 2020. Can you comment a bit about how that number has changed in recent years and maybe unpack some of the implications in our samples studied. So we have been tracking the self-reported first fill and second fill of cancer drugs in our annual survey for the past three years now. 
And what we've noticed is that each year, the reported percentage of fill has increased, albeit a bit more modestly than we expected. So we dug a bit deeper into the type of the institutions that are dispensing and tried to investigate the similarity and differences between those institutions. And what we have found is that the more tightly integrated IDNs, as measured by proximity's archetyping methodology, have greater success than the less integrated or the less centralized IDNs in both first fill and refills. But interestingly, the disparity increases even more when we look at the estimated refill percentages. Now, of course, the dispensing volume will depend on not just the internal systems of the IDN, but also the negotiating power of the IDN with the payers and payer preferences. However, we believe that the internal controls and the ability of the IDNs to steer scripts towards their own pharmacies cannot be ignored. Hmm. Interesting. So it seems then to some degree there has been a modest shift among IDNs in our panel towards dispensing in-house, but still at least some significant portion of oral dispensing is done outside the health system. Yes, it is entirely possible to maintain a internal pharmacy and forego dispensing some amount of cancer therapeutics. However, doing so will forego the potential revenue stream from dispensing, which be significant, which is why I think every IDN with a dispensing operation will try to keep their fills as much as possible. Mm, that makes sense. So we know the other options for dispensing lie with contract external specialty pharmacies or payer-preferred external pharmacies, despite the presence of any willing provider laws that we discussed earlier. We've heard that insurers will lock out IDN specialty pharmacies from their dispensing network, steering patients toward their preferred external SPs that they may own and operate. Which brings us to our next topic and the number which we'll discuss next is the four large national pharmacy chains with PBM and or insurance arms. Now, we've talked about them before, and we collectively refer to them as the big four, known as CVS, Optum, Accredo, and Walgreens. Over the last decade, we've seen vertical integration of these pharmacies with insurance companies. Think United Healthcare with Optum, and various smaller specialty pharmacy operators, such as Briova RX and Diplomat, they all are under the same family. What role do these pharmacies play in an IDN's dispensing options? Well, these vertically integrated pharmacies are obviously large, and specialty pharmacy is just one component of their business, but a very profitable one. Sometimes providers may contract with these specialty pharmacies in order to just offload the billing work, or they simply just don't have the capabilities. However, the real motivator for these contract specialty pharmacies is the same as the IDN-owned pharmacies. Increased revenue potential. So often these contract pharmacies will market themselves to hospitals as pharmacy revenue optimizers. Now, these contract specialty pharmacies have a PBM component, which gives them an additional benefit in terms of their ability to easily mine patient insurance and dispensing data to identify what a 340B patient is and to increase their 340B drug discounts. 
On the other hand, and this is more likely to be common, providers often fill scripts for the patients at the outside pharmacy as a requirement for the patient's insurance reimbursement. Yes, and we have documented the growth in the 340B program, along with several other consultancies who watch this program, driven mostly by these contract pharmacies. Focusing now on the IDN-owned SPs, how does the 340B program intersect with a health systems, pharmacy operations, and more importantly, incentives? Well, I think there are a couple things. First, the incentives are the same. More 340B patients means more 340B discounts, which increases the revenue for the pharmacy. So a health system could potentially boost its revenue stream through optimizing 340B margin at the in-house SP versus sharing that discount with the external specialty pharmacy. Now, a health system may be limited by the number of patients they identify that would qualify as a 340B program, whereas the PBMs associated with the contracted pharmacy are able to look through a much larger population and be able to pick out the more profitable patients. Yeah, and we've looked into the lucrative margins that can be captured using the 340B discount program. In our landscape overview last year, we actually track the dispensing of a single script of student through a 340B contract pharmacy. In this hypothetical example, the external pharmacy plus the TPA, which is the third-party administrator, adjudicated the 340B claim, pocketed roughly 15% of the discount on the drug, which amounted to about $3,000. While the IDN still benefits from the discount in general, there remains significant margin sharing with the external SP in this scenario that could easily be directed toward the IDN specialty pharmacy if they have the power and the capabilities. The same logic then applies to non-340B patients, but just with a reduced incentive. Yeah, it's a big number, but yes, it's correct. Well then, Cindy, unsurprisingly, it appears that a successful internal specialty pharmacy at an IDN is an attractive business opportunity. Absolutely. Great. Well, in conclusion, as we wrap up today, can you please provide a few key takeaways that manufacturers keep in mind when dealing with IDN specialty pharmacies? Well, I think the key point here is that the IDN or the provider-owned specialty pharmacies are becoming more prevalent and more relevant, which in turn provides contracting opportunities and relationships for the manufacturers beyond the PBM. Now, of course, not all the IDN specialty pharmacies operate the same way or has the same market power, but we've noticed the more tightly integrated IDNs are likely to capture higher fill rates and retain their dispensing. Now, these large, tightly integrated IDNs have also demonstrated the ability to pull through network-wide treatment guidelines or policies more effectively than those that are less integrated. So now this, coupled with a robust specialty pharmacy program, may provide further contracting opportunities for the manufacturers. Great. Very well spoken. Cindy, thanks so much for joining today. And thank you. Thank you all for joining us today as we reviewed but a sliver of the dynamic world of oncology specialty pharmacy. We look forward to sharing other new and exciting topics in the world of oncology market access in future podcasts. 
goodbye.